Welcome in everyone to Flyer Footy on the Big 550 KTRS. My name is Matt Baker here with my friend in soccer, Justin Horniker, who's pinch hitting, to borrow a baseball term, for Phil, Santi, and Stu. It's just the two of us tonight. We're going to have a really fun conversation, but before we get into all that, Justin, how you doing? And can you tell everybody kind of who are you if people aren't familiar with you? Yeah, I'm doing good. It's a good night. Uh, yeah, I'm Justin Horniker. I write about St. Louis City and other St. Louis soccer things for St. Louis Mag. And I also cover soccer on my own through my uh, own Substack called Talking Soccer. So those are my credentials. I don't know how long I've known you, Justin, but I feel it's been forever. And yeah, we get to think we've kind of been in the same circles, right, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we, get, we get to see each other enough because we have the, the pleasure of mm. um, getting to attend some of the trainings and the press conferences and being informed in that way. So this should be a pretty fun conversation, but I don't think we have a really fun spot to talk first. Um, I'm going to let you lead the way a little bit, but you know, the first thing we really have to talk about being a couple days later is the Houston Dynamo being bounced from CONCACAF Champions Cup with a one nothing loss. You just got to pull the bandaid off, Matt. And so St. Louis lose one to nothing after traveling to Houston. And it's a real kind of bitter pill to swallow because without away goals, like in League's Cup or in any other competition that doesn't have away goals anymore, this would be going into extra time. But here St. Louis are coming back home after a disappointing loss now. And we'll have to really have a short memory as we go ahead to Saturday. And the the takeaways from this are interesting, aren't they? Because we heard Bradley Carnell allude to some different like classifications of this match. So he, he referred as the past three games to really the first two and then this game because so much seemed to go wrong for St. Louis. Mm. But did, did it start off on the wrong foot? Because here's the starting 11 that we ran out. It was Roman Berkey and Nett. Akil Watts was our left back. Joachim Nilsson and Michael Venzel from City 2 was our center backs. Jake Nerwinski started again at right back. Our midfield consisted of Jose Kojima, another first-time starter, with Chris Durkin, Tomas Ostrak, Indiana Vasilev made up our attacking mids, and then Klaus and Sam Adenaran up top. What did you make of that starting 11 that kind of led us into it? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a bit of rotation, especially out at the fullbacks and through the midfield. So when you look at the like general lack of ability to get things into the strikers, like I think that has a lot to do with it. The lineup itself, you know, you come into the game, you're away, you're ahead to one. Like you maybe think that this is a good lineup to just like scrap something out. But, you know, in the end, there just wasn't a lot of chemistry there. I think, you know, from we talked about, well, you guys talked about this. I also wrote about this last Saturday. Same where, page, same page. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of just like, it was the lowest pass percentage that they've had in MLS. And there just didn't seem to be a lot of instances where they were on the same page in the attack. And I don't think that's, any new in this game too. So a lot of the same problems that we've seen through the first two games. Yeah. And and not just low volume of passes, but the possession numbers were skewing much lower than even St. Louis city is used to some mm. 30%, I think it ended up being, and the shots on goal three for St. Louis overall shots five to me, it wasn't necessarily, this was a, a lack of the, 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 the general game that St. Louis is used to playing, but the efficiency was just so abysmal. Like they, they couldn't string passes to get upfield at all. A lot of the takeaways from that, people are pointing to the midfield. I, I don't I don't necessarily buy into that entirely because the midfield progressive passing is not a strength of St. Louis City. We, we progress the balls through our wings a lot. And that was so ineffective. And when we did progress it, it was not in any meaningful way, right? I felt like we were just kind of 
seeing Sam Adenaran up top, knowing he can win duels and then go 1v1 and just hoping that that would work, and it never really did. Yeah, I think if you look at the sub patterns too, I'm just kind of looking back over the game notes, it tells you a lot of what Carnell was feeling in the moment. Like his first two kind of real big subs are Cilio and AZ coming on at the same time to be those kind of like energy guys. And I think it tells you a lot of how that first half went and that like Houston were okay just slowing things down and going from moment to moment. And as they're chasing the game, it's a knockout game. Like you need the result. There's a lot of tension there. Like, I think that's part of the reason why Cardinal just wants to move on because there probably isn't a lot you can learn from that specific game state until they're in that scenario again. And I think the, not just the subs, but the overall personnel available and the way the game flow progressed from that perspective furthers that narrative. Because when you lose, when you don't have Tim Parker and Josh Yarrow mm-hmm. available and you lose Joachim Nilsson in the first half, you have to send Jake Nerwinski into your right center back role, moving Akil Watts from the left to the right, there's just so much patchwork, so many band-aids, as Carnell said on Thursday's press conference. They're just trying to plug a hole with a band-aid here and figure out how they can get along with things. And it's such a different reality than what we were expecting to see from St. Louis. The The frustrating thing to me is that that patchwork was happening on the back line. We had a, a rather strong, if inexperienced, midfield together. And our attack, in particular, looking at uh, the fact that Thomas Ostrak, who... There are opinions about his uh, efficiency with City, but Indiana Vasilev, Klaus, and Sam, that's a strong attacking three that St. Louis is top of top of their lineup, you would say, is their best 11. I was disappointed that they couldn't do more once they were receiving the ball. And to be honest, I thought we did fairly well defensively. Yeah, I mean, they've only allowed one goal each game so far. And like in this game, Roman Berkey is definitely a reason for that. He came up huge. Uh, in the second half to really like keep St. Louis in it. But yeah, like defensively, they look strong. And I know Carnell talks a lot about that being down to the formation, the structure, less so than like individual talents in the back. But if you think of, you know, Michael Wenzel, who was playing on West Next Pro like a couple months back and it never really started for the first team is now going 90 minutes and like is the guy that can't get hurt anymore. So, you know, you're relying on some interesting pieces there at this point. Yeah, I... I like your idea of let's not spend too much time on Houston because the the takeaways from that, um, I will give Carnell grace in the sense of the way he references it, talking about they did not stick their principles, the patchwork personnel. They didn't stick to their, their overall philosophy. They weren't able to do anything efficient with it. And at this point, like I was telling Santiago earlier today, at this point, when we get into May, we're going to look back at this portion of the season and we're not even going to reference Champions Cup. I don't know if anybody's going to individually remember yeah. just how bad these matches were. It's going to be, how did we perform in MLS? And what were the first five match results in league play? I think it's a symptom too. I know you want to get a little more granular with this map, but just to be a little more general, like I think it's a symptom of the fact that they wanted to rotate through these games. And mm-hmm. if they were going to be successful in CONCACAF Champions Cup, it was because of the strength of the roster, not necessarily your starting 11. And some of that is probably down to just like Eddie Leuven not being particularly sharp yet. But you look at who was on this be- the bench this match, like AZ didn't start. Mm-hmm. Leuven, who like is the driver of this team, only plays 18 minutes. Deer, Shelby Lublin, like Tim Parker, like we said, like there are some big names that are going to be uh, real key parts in this roster that were on the bench 
for a large portion of this match. So it just showed that they were trying to, you know, there's still a strong roster out there with Klaus and Sam, but they're trying to rotate through it. And I think you can maybe draw some positives that you win at home, you lose on the road, and MLS play, that's what you want. But obviously a knockout play, that's not going to do it. Yeah, the good news is we now have some of those players that you mentioned who are getting healthier. We have surprise bounce backs by a guy like Joachim Nilsson. So he was subbed out, but one of the things Bradley Carnell reinforced both post-game and at his press conference Thursday is Joachim Nilsson doesn't appear to have any lasting effects. Now, he said the similar thing about Tim Parker post-game. I think that might have been a little preemptive before the, the full workup could be done with him. Mm. But two days after the match, Joachim Nilsson were hearing isn't having any significant uh, further injury risks. And he was in fact training solo, doing some cardio today. But to be fair, we didn't get to see much in training today because it was a scheduled regen day. Most of the guys who spent time, we didn't see at all. So you can see a path where whether it's this Saturday against New York City or the the next week that you're starting to get people back healthy again. And you kind of hit a reset button, right? Yeah, and like, the good news is, is that you're like, not to call this a dark period, but that you're, you know, having this happen at the start of the year where your center backs are dropping like flies and are like all going to be good to go in two to three weeks if they aren't good to go this weekend. So like it's a obvious issue, but it's hopefully not going to go on for too long. That being said, like Joachim Nielsen, like is clearly the best center back on this team. You need him to be healthy and he's not healthy yet. And that's an issue. Yeah. Some of the things that were were picked up by the fan base on this game as we get ready to pivot to NYCFC are those technical pieces. And so just as I wrap the bow on this, I want to reinforce that I don't look as much as I love looking at the technical pieces and trying to find specific things in the tactical approach to take away from a game. I'm not doing that with Houston just for the reasons we mentioned personnel it was a, an abnormality in the overall scheme of things. So looking at questions that, like we get on Twitter, questions like we had an inability to adjust and keep, we seem to keep trying the same thing. Where did our ball control go? We couldn't string more than one pass together. We are the lowest possession based team in the entire league. So this was a symptom of, of personnel and of an inability to finish and do the, the things right that you need to um, from a fundamental perspective. The concept of St. Louis City playing the ball long and progressing the passes longer as opposed to playing ticky-tack or what we're getting ready to talk to with New York City, that's not going to change. I just think we're going to be more effective as we go along. Yeah, that's the, the effectiveness of the name of the game because it's they're creating the chances. They're creating attempts that could turn into chances, but the luck went your way last year. It's not going your way this year in the way of those like little balls they can get onto the end of they're just not getting on the end of right now and hopefully that changes there's the obvious caveat that that might not change at all this may just be a year of frustrating soccer but like i look at that and i say okay this is a team that like hasn't played a lot together yet uh with the big names like thomas totland and chris durkin and all those guys and totland is going to be a big part of the attack that's Mm. that's a key thing is without totland we might be i mean think about how we played the first two matches versus without totland like we in the first half of rsl remember we had a lot of chances we were we were creating chances it was that final touch we couldn't finish go back and watch that rsl first half there were that was a good half of soccer we just couldn't finish and i think that's the rust that's the thing we're getting Mm. into so you want to you want to pivot to nycfc yeah so (laughs) please (laughs) (laughs) 
And NYCFC, so they're coming into this match on a bit of a low, having lost one nothing to Charlotte this past weekend. And if you look at that game, if you look at what Charlotte were able to do successfully to keep New York City off the score sheet is not going to be what St. Louis is going to be able to do. So you have to look at what NY, when NYCFC do. You look at their talent level. They're a young, hungry team, but they're also not very experienced in some of the key areas. Uh, and what Charlotte did really well is they fouled uh, Maxi every time that he got onto the ball. So there are some key lessons to learn from how NYCFC lost to Charlotte. But Matt, how do you see St. Louis lining up? I see St. Louis sticking to what St. Louis does best. Um, we heard from Chris Durkin today on Thursday's press conference, and I think he summed it up nicely with a lot of experience himself coming from DC United, playing twice, and actually being one of the key reasons why NYCFC didn't make the playoffs last year in their matchup late. And Chris Durkin said it pretty easily that they love to possess the ball. They like to play on the ball. They'll wear you down. They like to make their short to medium passes, and we've got stats to back that up here in a little bit. So I see St. Louis, if we're if we're effective and efficient in what we can do, a lot of the things that, you know, conceptually we could have had a lot of success in these first couple matches, but the thing is they weren't connecting to each other. Um, you're not having the partnerships that you need to in those around you between the fullbacks and the midfield or the, the attacking mids and the fullbacks and some of those overlapping runs, the efficient passing and the accurate passing. If we can work on that, if we can string together that final touch I think back to that RSL game, if we can actually have Klaus be a little more effective, then we're going to have a lot more success. And the reason that I say Klaus in particular is before talking about a lot of it, what NYCFC has to offer and in their history and all that, uh, which we have a lot of info from them. We're going to touch on um, Matthew Mangum from Hudson River Blue, former SB Nation blog, was kind enough to provide us a little tactical insight to NYCFC. But I just want to I just want to frame this with. Klaus and Sam, no matter who starts one or both of them, I think that there's remember that they're strikers and remember last year, how often we had the conversation of the strikers mentality and form being king for strikers. Once you get that first goal to drop, they tend to drop like buckets for these high level, high level strikers. Nico Joachini, we talked a lot last year about them. And so in the context of Nico left, these strikers aren't effective. Nobody can play off of each other. Bradley Carnell said today that he kind of thinks of Klaus as that ability to play the 10, the second striker, the underneath. So he reinforced what we saw on the field against Houston. And when those two play together, Sam is that line breaking striker, the line holding striker and Klaus leading the team in some areas like touches and passes. That's not an accident. You can look for more of that if they play together, but if they don't, Klaus can be that vulture in the box who you can send the ball to and that offers a lot of flexibility against a team like nycfc who like you said is weak on the counter yeah it speaks to i always love the klaus and sam conversation because it does speak to just like they're completely different skill sets even though they look like they would be like similar strikers they're both tall they're both strong but klaus is so much better with hold up play and coming back to the ball and coming back to the midfield whereas sam can burn you like the second he's on the ball or second he has like an inch on you. So completely different ways of playing. And when they're playing, like you said, that two striker system, they're almost complementary. and people expect Klaus to be that main goal scorer and just hasn't necessarily been like his job through these first few games. Daniel in chat has a couple questions. Uh, they seem more like venting, which is fine. Um, <laughs> 
every other club has adjusted how we play. Is that like, so questioning has every other club adjusted? Why don't we adjust what other clubs are doing? And, and when I see those two questions in particular, first of all, that's a possible benefit to NYCFC because we haven't played them yet. And so they have tape on us, but they've never experienced us. So one of our first true opportunities to play an Eastern conference opponent who didn't get to see us on the field last year and themselves are a bad away team. I, I don't necessarily think that other teams have entirely figured out how we figured us out. If we are effective in some of our key capabilities, like we, we are, it is not just send it long and hope and pray something happens, but it's effective, quick building. And we're not going to be a team that possesses uh, 45, 50% of the time regularly. So it's, it's efficiency in using our fullbacks to get the ball up to field. We're not going to progress it from midfielder to midfielder. I don't think we expect that to. I don't think we want to, because if we start to do that, we're not just adjusting to what other clubs are throwing. We're getting outside of ourselves. It's not what we train on. It's not what we are designed to do in this type of a system where you press and your midfielders spread out and they don't provide close cover to each other. So I, in the conversation of why does, does it seem like other clubs have figured this out? I just go back to what we were talking about with Houston of personnel, early season rust, of trying to figure things out without our top tier players. And that includes Nicholas Dewar, who we haven't seen at all yet, but he will slot in to be our starting left back. I am as positive about that as I can be about any single position. So getting Nicholas Dewar, getting Thomas Totlin will change the dynamic of our entire offense, having both of those players at fullback. I don't know if it's going to happen against NYCFC, though. That's the thing, is circling back to that. I, I expect Thomas Totlin to play. And I expect that to be a game changer, no matter who's in midfield. Because I think that while NYCFC likes to progress the ball through the wings and they like to possess the ball in that manner, looking for a guy like Santi Rodriguez, I I think that is a, a an ability for St. Louis to spread the field on the counter, just like Charlotte did, but better. Yeah. And like if you look at how New York have done against like pressing style teams. So if you look at their like head to head record against the Red Bulls, for instance, even though there are different wrinkles in both those systems, like they don't play as well as you think they would in those games. And I think it's because of just the general chaos that like St. Louis, Philly, Red Bulls like can do to a match. And when you don't have the intensity that like NYCFC doesn't have that like high intensity to be able to like defend the counter as well. And like, it's clearly a matchup issue for them. So I want to take a step back for a second because I, I want to do this a little bit this year. We've got a few teams on our roster or Ooh. on our schedule that we haven't played before. I'm excited, Matt. I'm excited. It's, yeah. So it's, it's kind of like um, the opposite of what we usually do on flyer footy, which is analyze until things are just beaten absolutely dead. But instead of doing that, it's kind of just talking big picture about who our, who our actual opponent is. And we had the, like I mentioned earlier, Matthew Mangum from Hudson River Blue gave us a little bit of an insight in their tactics and who they are and things like that. So who is NYCFC? This is the first time we've played them. It might be the last time we play them for a couple of years. And I would doubt that we see them at City Park just based on how scheduling works until they have a stadium complete themselves, if that tells you anything. So start off, who is New York City FC? Their nickname are the Pigeons, if you couldn't tell by the title of this live stream. New York City FC, the Pigeons, they're 80% owned by City Football Group, 20% owned by the Yankees. They entered MLS in 2013. 
Some of their notable players over the years include Frank Lampard, David Villa. They won the Supporter Shield in 2017 and 2019, and they won MLS Cup in 2021. Not that long ago. They currently play both Yankee Stadium and City Field, home of the Mets, which does factor in. I'm not just listing that to make fun of them. But both of those have some of the worst dimensions in soccer. The field size is so small, it borders on being non-regulation. And at long last, though, to their benefit, in 2022, they reached an agreement with the city of New York or New York City to build a new 25,000-seat stadium in Willits Point, Queens, which is near City Field. That's expected to be completed in 2027, but they're still dealing with this issue of their home field advantage is because they play in a smaller field. And at least recently, they've been an awful road team. Last year, they were 8-6-3 and three at home, 1-8-8 eight and eight on the road. And Matthew said this is potentially due to that smaller field size, but whether it's because of their ineffectiveness in the style of play that they have, which is kind of Manchester City light, mm. or it's the personnel that have been leaving over the past couple of years, not, not rebuilding since 2021, but man, they've lost some of their really key goal scorers. I wonder if... I wonder if the loss of personnel, like looking at Tati Castellanos, who left finally to Lazio after being on loan to Girona for feels like three years, but it was only like a year, year and a half. Lit and then, it up though. He was He did. He 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 earned his sixteen million dollar sale or whatever it was. That's right. And then last year their leading goal scorer was Gabriel Pereira, the midfielder who was sold for uh he was sold to Al Raya in Qatar. So they're missing a lot of these key goal scorers, relying on some of their more uh, more high profile midfielders or wingers like Santi Rodriguez. How do you how do you see them from what we saw last year? Because one game sample size is kind of tough, but I feel like this one game of NYCFC is a lot like what they played last year. Yeah, they have some very interesting young players that like I don't think stick out in a way. Like my big point is that they aren't necessarily as athletic as they are technical, right? So when these rangy teams that can run on you, like that causes them issues because like you said, with the short dimensions, like they're built to be so good in close that like I do buy into the feeling that it hampers them uh, in faster paced games, but they have like very good young players like your James Sands Mm -hmm. and good young attackers like Hans Wolf's 24 years old, uh, Bakar is 23 years old and what that is is potential. That's not necessarily these guys that have like done it yet that have the track record like your Tati Cassianos, but he didn't have a track record either when he started lighting up MLS. So especially in game two, it's kind of hard to say like what this team is gonna be. Looking at that first game though, that game in Charlotte, and I don't know if there's a ton to be necessarily excited about if you're an NYCFC fan, like from a strictly on the pitch aspect in that first game. Yeah, some of their young, big new signings here over the past, uh, in the offseason really, have a lot of potential, but I don't know how much we're really going to see of them to start the year. Yeah, it's that question of like, you know, you don't know what they are, but they could also turn into Chaga Amada like by the end of the season. But right now in game two, it's hard to say like what these kind of magic beans are going to turn into over the course of the season. Yeah, so let's let's, uh, set set the tone for who we can watch for because... Over at Hudson River Blue, they gave us a potential starting 11. So these are some key names to keep in mind. Matt Friesen, goal for them. They project Kevin O'Toole at left back, Burke Risa at the left center back, Tiago Martin at right center back, who for a brief moment, City fans really thought we might have a chance at him, I think an offseason or two ago. Um, Mitya Ilinik at right back, 
Keaton Parks, center mid, James Sands, center mid, Talis Magno at left wing, they're projecting. Santi Rodriguez, the center attacking mid, they're number 10. Julian Fernandez on the right side. And then, like you said, Justin, Munsif Bakrar up top, which Bakrar, I'm told, is a pretty good goal scorer if he can be found. One of the one of the knocks on him is seems to be more system based. Um, the New York City FC fans expecting him to be another Tati Castellanos and that striker and the mm. goal scorer, but not being able to score with some of the chances as he's been isolated up top, which is interesting. I think he had six goals last year or around or, or five. He didn't lead their team in goals, but that's an interesting uh, possibility because St. Louis City is when they're beaten. They're beaten off of having the the field spread. Um, they're they're beaten because their press doesn't work. And so to think about a, a number nine, a striker who can't be found, that it seems like it offers a whole lot of possibilities in allowing St. Louis to be a little more brave with how they're pressing and swarming some mm. of NYCFC. Yeah, and looking back at how Picard played last week in Charlotte, like he actually had to drop back into the midfield. He completed two crosses. He created two chances himself, but he. Yeah, like you were saying, didn't really get the ball in position. He has three shots. They're both from way out with uh, one, three expected goals on that. So he was forced outside of the box to you know really not get involved and have to create things himself. So like I said, Matt, not really getting on the end of things. Yeah, and the the more we can get a number nine to drop in the midfield, the better. Um, in chat, Jerry Hayes asks, are there new players on par with our new players? I would honestly say their new players possibly have more potential to make an impact to their team uh, just from a, a goal scoring perspective. I think they have a lot of potential that they need to be replacing with. So their, their idea is they haven't scored that many goals. That's one of the issues that they've had uh, last year. They only had 35 goals scored in and had 41 points, 41 points, 34 games, 35 goals scored. They have got to find a way right. to put the ball in the net. And, and I don't know where they're going to find it, at least from what they showed against Charlotte, but that's their future. That's some of these guys mm. that they're signing uh, with that idea. With another team that I think we have the benefit of playing early in the season. And, you know, I, I, I think it, the timing might work out for St. Louis. It's really going to be close on this one to see if, if pivoting away five days after this Champions Cup heartbreak, dealing with the injuries that St. Louis has. It's an opportunity if St. Louis is healthy, but I just don't know if we're going to be there. Yeah, it's a perfect opportunity to prove that, especially that first game was more of a hiccup than a trend. So you have a team that's going to try to bunker down, not really bunker down, but play slow. You can pressure, you can play intense, you can run at them, and now you have to show that you can bring the intensity everywhere on the pitch, not like we saw last week. So. Yeah, and looking at overall expectations for NYCFC, so we we know how bad they were last year. Uh, we know that they lost one nothing to Charlotte last week, and they're a bad away team. So the the hits keep on coming for them. But I'm just like, all- I think I'm perennially like stuck in that mindset of this team still has MLS Cup winners on it. So like it's always hard for me to say that this is a bad team, even though I know that they aren't necessarily the most dangerous. Well, that's our job, right? We have to prove yeah. that they're a bad team by by continuing their poor away form. But their their expect their fan base is expecting them to at least do something to make the playoffs, and that's to me. Whenever you ask a, a fan base or a club, what are your expectations for this year? And they say we've had our worst season since 2015 last year. Our expectations mm. are to return to the playoffs. That's one of those things that's like a wing and a prayer to me. It's like you never expect to just miss the playoffs, right? So that's like the lowest possible bar 
while still having some kind of hope, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't hate that roster at all. I think there's a lot of good players there, but yeah, it's unproven and you're kind of like, okay, I don't know if we did enough in the off season to, and the East is hard as well. They really like close ground. So not only do they not have hope that they did enough this off season, but the teams underneath you and around you have all gotten better as well. And it, it looks tough out there. Yeah. And we look at, we know we heard what their starting lineup is. So how does that going to look when it presents itself to city NYCFC often played in a four, three, three formation last year, but last week they lined up in a four, two, three, one talking to Hudson river blue. They feel Nick Cushing, their coach is going to stick with this four, two, three, one expecting NYCFC to dominate that possession that we mentioned earlier, noting that they're a little less, they're, they're glass half empty when it comes to how they're going to match up against St. Louis high press. As a result, NYCFC is going to likely look to their wing backs to move the ball high up the pitch, use the center backs to play the ball forward, try and create some of that space to get around the St. Louis press. Wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of a lot of medium to long passes if St. Louis is effective. And I think this is where if whether they go 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3, watching some of the highlights from Charlotte, I got the sense that if we're if we're strong with our swarming, if we're strong with our anticipation of where they're going to send the ball. We're going to be a lot more better off if we can. This could be one of those games where you mm. have one of those back pass turnovers or you have a high press turnover like Klaus had that They're almost due. led to a goal. They're You're due for one. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah, I keep coming back to uh, Carnell said last week and I pulled out this quote because it really like resonated with me. He said that like if not every player brings intensity, then our game state doesn't matter. And like, I keep coming back to that because that requires chemistry that requires everyone to be bought in at the same time. That swarming that you're talking about, Matt. Mm -hmm. And like, that's when this team is at its best, but they have to prove that they're there first. And so where do we think their goal scoring is going to come from? Santi Rodriguez is the likely answer. They're number 10 who had five goals last year. Talos Magno had four. McCrar had three, but he only played in 10 games because he was a summer signing. So Mm. Is he the X factor? Like who, if you had to pick one player, is it Santi Rodriguez? Is it Bukrar? I am, man. I always worry about Santi Rodriguez, but I think Bukrar just because if he can get the ball in the midfield, like he's been doing. And if city's center back depth like isn't, you know, if it's decimated, if it's unorganized, then you could see him dribbling at the defense and potentially making something happen that way. But cause I think, I think if he can you know, find an option out there just in the chaos and the mess of everything, then not just in goal scoring, but I think he has the potential to open up things for other players too. And that's what you have to worry about. All right, let's, let's shift back home for a little bit. Uh, let's talk about St. Louis city and what we bring into this match. Um, you, you can expect what you can from NYCFC, but in the words of Carnell, we have to control what we can control so what are we going to look like? And from an injury perspective, this week's press conference gave a little bit of an insight, didn't it at least? So we know Tim Parker is ahead of Josh Yarrow in his huh. recovery. We know Nicholas Dewar has worked his fitness up. So Carnell says the door is open to play, which I, I think I worded awfully on Twitter. I, I included that in one of my like uh, updates on players. And all I put in was the door is open for Dewar to play. And I didn't realize that that came off like he has done something to where he hasn't earned a spot. And I, I have maybe the, uh, the wordplay doesn't come off as well on Twitter. I think, I think that's true. (laughs) Well, coming off of the loss we did against Houston, there's no, 
there's no humor in the fan base right no now. No one's like, looking for that wordplay right now, man. No, you no, realize it, that <laughs> it's all it's all serious business. We can't we can't afford anything else. But Nicholas Dewar is fine. Nicholas Dewar is he's just working his fitness back up. Carnell mentioned, well, we know he didn't play a lot with FC Michelin. He didn't. He wasn't a mm. perennial starter. He hadn't really played since early December. And when he was playing for them, he was only getting spot minutes there at the end. Yeah. And if you if you look at the difference between Tolan and Deers, that Tolan was like pretty much an everyday starter for BK yeah. Hawken while he was there. Yeah. Yeah. And so Dewar working up his fitness personally. And Carnell made very specific verbiage to working up fitness to where they need him to for the team. So I, I took that to mean a, a player's fitness as a if you if you get to a baseline fitness, that's not enough for City, mm. especially as a fullback role. Yeah, actually, to like put a personal note on this, uh, like in track and field, if I'm talking, if I am a runner, because I was a track field coach for a while, so it's always like in my head and I'm talking to someone about how I'm feeling and I say, yeah, like I just came back from injury. I'm just not really feeling fit yet. And they'll look at you like, but you run 60 miles a week. How do you not feel fit? And it's a difference between, yeah, that physical fitness and feeling like you're at the top of the game. So feeling like you're quick, your first step is there, you know, something isn't feeling quite right when you're at like the top of that, you know, peak physical fitness, like these guys are used to being. So they can definitely tell in their body when they aren't quite at the level that they need to be at. Yeah. And so do you, we'll get into starting 11s in a minute, but do you expect Dura to start? Are you thinking that Carnell works him on as a second half sub? Yeah. I think I read that as, I don't think his first appearance will be a starter, especially Mm -hmm. if he, like Carnell went out of his way to mention that he had to kind of learn their tendencies yeah. and learn their like style play as well. And I don't see his first major minutes at that experience being from the start, but I think that leaves the door open to him playing for sure. So with, with that said, and Dur's still probably not an option at, at the starting left back, mm. you look to Anthony Markanik or Keel Watts. Well, Rasmus Alm's still out. Kyle Hebert's still out, but the other back line member, Joachim Nilsson, it sounds like he could potentially be an option to start, at least if you if you needed to push him to that aspect. Yeah. Not saying he has to go 90, right? They're like, I'm just racking my brain even trying to figure out, because if Josh Yarrow <laughs> isn't good to go either, and Kyle Hebert isn't good to go, then it almost has to be because they're not going to throw Michael Wenzel out there. And like that's where I'm trying to figure out. Like, do, do you put Nerwinski at center back? Like, what happens here? Yeah, I I lose the ability to care if somebody went 90 on Tuesday. Right now, I just yeah. wonder who who is a potentially healthy body that we could throw out there on the back line. And yeah. So if Nielsen really isn't worried about whatever he felt, you know, on Tuesday, then like start him for sure. But like, I, I also it's week two, and you don't want to risk that. Yes, I mean that's the thing, right? It's it's week two, it's match two in MLS. You don't want to push players too hard. But Carnell was overly um, showering with praise Nilsson and the training staff for their oh, yeah. ability to get him turned around. That's what you hear about Nilsson. Because I talked to Bobby Murphy, who is the coach for City 2, last year for a piece. And like when he was talking about the first team guys, he pointed out when Nilsson came down and how much of like a consummate professional he was. So he really like comes off that way as a guy who does all those little things right. Like everywhere, everyone you talk to about him. So it wouldn't surprise me if he showed up in the starting lineup. Uh, yeah. Backline consisting of Joachim Nilsson, Anthony Markanik, and Tim Parker would, would not surprise me, but I would doubt that all three would be going, well, Anthony Markanik, I don't know, but those two center backs would doubt they would go the full 
90. I think Jake Nowinski is still a possibility, if not a, a potential starter. And I, I, I don't like it, but Jake Nowinski's got experience at right center back. He, did, he didn't yeah. perform terribly when he subbed in or had to slide over. Nothing groundbreaking, but he did the job and he saved a goal. Also, we have yeah. to remember. Yes. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, do you, you wonder then if they even go like back five for a while, just to like get Nerwinski back there, like right center back. But like, then how, how do we think our midfield is going to turn out? Is it, is it a return to Leuven and Blom or do we keep Durkin in there? I think they go Leuven and Blom just because they didn't play on Tuesday, but Durkin play, it was like the bright spot on Tuesday for me. So that's the problem with this midfield too, is you got to figure out a way to get all of these guys on the pitch and you're leaving someone very good who will feel like they should be a starter out of this. And they all kind of bring something different to the table as well. Justin, I know we said that you were going to act as kind of the host on this one, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Okay. And this has been a, a contentious, uh, one of the more, more contentious things. This all week. right. Let me dive in. <laughs> Edu, Edu Leuven at the number 10 position. What are your thoughts? Well, my thoughts are that he likes to play further back. So when I think of him not feeling comfortable already, I don't know if putting him in a position that he doesn't like playing it is necessarily the answer because he mm-hmm. very much likes playing further back in the midfield. He's made that known on multiple occasions. Like I, but I see the debate in that. I don't know yeah. if having him so far back and having him like also have to take on those defensive responsibilities as the best use of his talent. Yeah. I, and I need to go back and check the tape last year because I don't recall him at playing the number 10 position an overwhelming amount. No, if he did, it was like AZ was out and they had a, like they were quick on the sub or something, but he yeah. mainly played next to Blom or if he was on the left side of that diamond, the and left guess, side of the diamond, which yeah. I don't want to see again. I, <laughs> because last year at the end of last season, I, the diamond wasn't bad in and of itself. I think it did its job in providing volume in the midfield while allowing mm. some of our, our fullbacks to press high and creating that space wide. I think it was a good formation that Carnell eventually learned to implement. Um, but it coincided with Edu Leuven playing that left midfield. And it seemed like he was out of position to the point where it led to the frustrations at the end of the season mm. of feeling like he just wasn't on, on the same page with what he was being asked to do. Yeah. Like I think in his mind, it almost seems like he needs to feel like he's putting in something on both sides of the pitch. Like, I think yeah. he feels he has to feel like he's contributing defensively or else he's going to be like overthinking things to, to hear him talk about it. That's kind of how it comes out. Which is why I like him at the eight. I, yeah. I like Leuven's ideal spot to me is the box to box midfielder who plays alongside a Durkin or a Blom. One of the things that Chris Durkin said today, which was fascinating to me is he likes to compliment other players. And when I, when I hear him say he likes to compliment other players and he likes to, to allow them to do what they need to do. I felt like that's a, that's a number six. Like he's, Mm. if he needs to be pivoting on the left or the right, he allows the eight to do move up and down the field. And he's kind of the, he's the partner in crime in midfield. And, and when you're able to do that and he's not asked to, he's not asked to be the the pivot, the guy who Mm. directs the ball all the time, is he? No. And I think you get that. Like when I was looking back through Durkin's tape in DC, it does seem like he works better off of other midfielders as well. And so like, he's not going to come in and be the main creative driver, but he can be a creative driver working off other midfielders. 
You're listening to us on the Big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for joining us. We're Flyover Footy. I'm here with Justin Horniker. I'm Matt Baker. As we near the end of our pregame show, getting you ready for the St. Louis City kickoff on Saturday night, let's look at our attack now, Justin. So we've mm. talked through the midfield a little bit. We've got some talk in our back line. There's a lot of – this is the place where things are up in the air. All right, so I want to spend the rest of the show kind of – or the rest of this portion of our show talking about our attack – with Klaus, with Sam, AZ, Indy, Nuke Vithorsen, Tomas Ostrak. What is the best thing that we could be doing up here? Is it a 4-4-2? Is it a 4-2-3-1? And how do you see, especially the striker position? Yeah, like I think right now, if you're riding with a hot hand, like Sam and Adrian needs to get some time up there as the lone yeah. striker, I think. Not to say that Klaus needs to step off the pitch, but if you're wanting to implement a lone striker system like Sam Adenran probably needs to get the nod at this point. Uh, I like how Adenran and Klaus work off of each other though. And like we were talking about earlier, Klaus has that good holdup play that then Sam can work off his shoulder and it works really well at times. But one of this team's strengths is that they were getting goals from everywhere last year. And so far, like they need to find a way to make that happen again. I, I tend to think that we're going to see some interesting things from Klaus this year, at mm. least in the next few games. And when Bradley Carnell said on Thursday that he can see Klaus being a 10 or a second striker, it the light bulb went off as to what he was trying to do against Houston in, in not just a, an underneath second striker, but at times he was playing so deep that he really was a central attacking midfielder and in his positioning. And I think what that could do with higher level fullbacks that can press the ball high up the wings and give some service into the box. The opportunities could be so much greater than they were on Wednesday, where we weren't even getting the ball effectively into the the attacking half of the field. So I, I don't necessarily see that as something that is going to be bad having Klaus and Sam on the field together, Klaus underneath. I think the Klaus is a really good ball handler. He's really good at, at creating and he's, he's a fantastic uh, distributor just as much as he is a finisher. I think we didn't see it a lot last year because we didn't need to, but Klaus has a lot more flexibility than we're accustomed to seeing. And year two of Klaus isn't going to be carbon copy of year one, and especially because we have a clinical finisher like Sam, where that wasn't necessarily the case with Nico Joachini. They play, they all play vastly different mm. roles and positioning. And so I just think, I think some of the other things that we saw in personnel who weren't our, top choice, I'll say, in a fullback role or maybe in the midfield, there's so much more potential if we keep going with Sam and Klaus on the field at the same time. But the problem is, who would sub in for them? Like how, mm. if, if they're on the field at the same time, like you're saying, how vastly different would our second half have to be? And would it be too steep of a drop off to handle? Yeah, like definitely. And I think that's probably some of the reason why you might see Nookvi, Thoris and Start as well, or even like, Thomas Ostrak is that like I think Carnell likes having one of them come off the bench because there is a bit of a drop off from striker to striker and like if Caden Glover is not necessarily ready if McSorley is not necessarily ready then like you probably see like some way to work around that I think like get creative in the attack and I think they might benefit from a little bit of unorthodoxy as well do you want to give a projection for your starting 11? Let's go. Let's do it. All right. I'll, I'll go first. I didn't write this down because of the just absolute chaos that's happening in our personal right now. 
Um, but in talking about it, I'm going to, I'm going to use my memory here on this and I'm going to go Berkey and net, obviously Markanic, Nielsen, Parker, and Totlin on the back line. I do like the Leuven and blow midfield. I think we're there. And then I think I'm going to go with Salio out left, who we didn't talk about at all yet, which probably says something. And I think he's going to offer an interesting look. But anyway, attacking has Salio, AZ, Indiana Vasilev, and Sam up top to start it. Yeah, Indy's a good shout too. And he's kind of been one of the drivers in the games where he's played more minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that's an important one. Okay, so I'm going to go Berkey, obviously. Mm -hmm. Probably Marcanic. Probably Tim Parker. I'm giving a lot of probably's here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Everything's with a caveat. Yeah. I'll say Parker and Nilsson because I think it sounded like that would be good to go. But my ca- obvious caveat is if Nilsson's not ready, then yeah, like Jake Kerwinski. Uh, <laughs> Thomas Totland. Yeah. I think the back two are the defensive midfield pairing of Blom and Leuven, like we're talking about. AZ at the top. And then I like Cilio. And then I want to see Indiana Vaslev on the right, I think. And then Adunaran as the starter, as a striker. Did we just name the same starting 11? I think so. I think we I think we backed our way into it. <laughs> All right. This might be a first. I never agree with Santi or Phil or Stu. This is this might be a flyover first. I think we both thought our way into it too. So yeah, that was very impressive, Matt. Right. <laughs> All right. Justin, thank you so much for joining me on Flyover Footy. Thank you so much for joining us on the first pregame show before St. Louis City kicks off on Saturday night. Um, If you're joining us for the first time, we do a full uh, Flavor Footy podcast. So subscribe, like, wherever you get your podcasts. We're going to go deeper into some things in the wind down and just have a nice chat, answer some questions. Um, For now, thank you so much for joining us on the Big 550 KTRS and go City. Welcome back to the wind down. It's a tradition, Justin, and you get to be a part of it. It's a good sound. It's how we, yeah, it, it makes for a nice coming back. Cause if you're listening to the pod, it's, it's got this, like, I think it's a jazzy music that I, I do. I think Phil and I do different ones. Um, but then it has, is the nice calming sense. I don't know. Um, what, what is, what is your take on Bradley Carnell's management of the team? Now, let me, let me, let me start this with, this is a chill portion of the pod. So <laughs> we, we don't have to go too hard, but one of the things that I keep seeing in, um, and, and one of the comments on Instagram is, uh, it seems like the internet is overreacting quite a bit to the CCC exit. And where I want to go with that is we talked about some of the formations, the tactics, but there's a lot of blame now, well, maybe for the first time, starting to shift to Bradley Carnell and, and the tactics that he employs and just his overall style of play. So mm. is this a, a massive overreaction after, uh, after a win, a draw, and a loss, especially the loss? Or is there something to be said for the back half of last season and starting the way that we have this year? And I get where that worry is coming from, but I, I do think that's an overreaction. I, I think it's only natural if you take the second half of last year 
the way the season ended, like how they bowed out in the playoffs, their loss in the U.S. Open Cup, this loss. Like, I understand why that would be frustrating, but I don't think it necessarily is an indictment on Bradley Hartnell's coaching. Like, I think there's enough there in, like, how he's gotten the most out of certain players. And, Mm -hmm. like, I think he's learned, too, as a manager. Like, he's going to have to grow. He was in his first year last year. He's in his second year this year. And, like, managers have to learn as well. So, I guess the real problem would be if you have these early exits and as we go along, we're in year two, year three, year four, and we're still seeing these same patterns, then I think it's okay to have that reaction. But I think it's still pretty early. Yeah, I I agree. I I definitely think it's early. I definitely am not a pitchfork wielding person um, by nature or otherwise for what we're seeing so far. Game three total of the year, game one game in MLS. Yes, I know we didn't end last season the way it was, but I do think there's something to be said for the way last season progressed mm. and the need to start strong or, or the way we started strong and how things just kind of either fitness wise or minutes wise, they, they just started to fall apart and get less consistent as the year progressed. This is a totally different year to me. I don't look for those trends necessarily. I know it's, it's going to happen. Like you're going to say we have, we've only scored eight goals in eight matches or something along the lines of Thomas Ostrock hasn't started since last August or whatever it was. And he's still not doing anything, but I think the only thing concerning to me right now is just the frustration around the cups. And we have one cup competition win in five matches, I believe. So it's Omaha. We won, we lost against the fire in the U S open cup. And then in League's Cup, we lost against Club America, we lost against the Crew, and now we lost against Houston. Well, we had a win against Houston, mm. but, you know, I, that's the only frustrating thing, I think, and I don't quite yet know what to make of that. Like, I'm not I sure. My- no, yeah, and I don't think that's necessarily like a style. I think people want to wrap up, wrap it up into like style play conversation mm. as well, and I don't think it like necessarily comes down to that. I think it's just been some bad luck in a few ways and like they overperformed their expectations they overperformed like their underlying numbers in the regular season i think there was bound to be some regression and that probably comes in these like high profile single elimination games as well so you get lucky you also gotta get a little bit unlucky yeah that's fair um looking in the chat jerry hayes is is referencing my klaus comment from earlier uh folks won't be happy learning a klaus different from last year and so I, I do like that because I, and I stand by what I said because uh, we have a second striker unlike who we had last year. And so it's not bad that we're going to see a different Klaus. We're going to see um, a Klaus with a different role at times. Now, the fact that we have Klaus and Sam as our strikers right now, you could say Nuki Thorson is a second striker. You could say that Salio or maybe even AZ can step up. But if you're having Klaus and Sam on the field at the same time, Klaus is not going to be that at that tip of the spear striker. And that's a different role than what he had last year. That's all I meant by that. I think it provides a lot of opportunity for him to play off of Sam. And just as Sam would, were, would go down and win some of those one V ones, Klaus can be right there to finish it off. So I think to add on to that Klaus conversation too, I think he does so well when he can get the ball at his feet in transition. And I don't mm-hmm. think they've necessarily had those moments yet. Through yes. This season. Absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. Uh, on the back line, there's a question in chat from Jeremiah Simmons. Was there any talk about another Michael Wenzel call-up, or is he going back to City 2? First of all, I haven't heard anything about a call-up. I will say that 
I, I did not see him with the City 2 team training on the field on Thursday. However, most of the players who played a, a multi, a, a many minutes on Tuesday, a majority of the game, they weren't out. They were just regenning inside in the training facility. And I would bet that Michael Wenzel was a part of that. I don't know if Parker and Yarrow can't go, if we'd be inclined to call him up again. But what I can say is, as far as what we're able to do in MLS, our affiliates, so City 2, you can call up a player up to four times, and they can appear in up to two league games. So with his first match being a cup competition, the way I read the rules, Justin, is that Michael Wenzel still has two appearances that he can make for in MLS league play. Yeah, I think it would have to be a separate, like transactionally a separate oh, yes. call-up though, because the, the window, one yeah. for was only for that CONCACAF championship game. So you would know by tomorrow if he's going to get called up. And like, if they do, I would expect him to play then. Same, same the situation. Yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be a meaningful call-up. Uh, because if you start burning these in your second game and you're looking to keep Wenzel with City 2 for the duration of 2024, you're going to start backing yourself into a corner real quick. Mm. Uh, do you all think we'll start seeing a five in the back formation with an emphasis on wingbacks? Tim Parker's bucket hat asks. Justin, you alluded to possibly seeing five in the back, but here's my problem with that for this next game. With all the talk that we've had about being short on center backs, how does a five in the back with three center backs actually work with this? So here's my thoughts, because during the match last week, Carnell talked about how he wanted to throw an extra center back out there because he wasn't necessarily sure about like uh, if Nielsen was good to go still. So part of my reasoning is one thing Bradley Carnell does when he sees like a weakness in center back is throw another center back out there. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know how to reconcile that there then wouldn't be like any backup whatsoever if something else happens. So maybe not as likely, but wow. I would love to see it, especially with Totland pushing like high. Do you think we could be looking at a second half Jabulu Blom at right back scenario? Potentially. I, I would love to see it. I love a good Jabulu Blom at right back moment. People, <laughs> people are saying they want to see a, a four, three, three of sorts with Leuven, Durkin and Blom in at the same time. You might get your wish, but it might involve a midfield that con contains Leuven and Durkin and Blom shifts back, which he has played. He played growing up. He played at times with City last year, though, very cameo appearances. Yeah, like at yeah at the end of the game, you know, when they just need to throw bodies out there, they went to the back five. They put Blom at the right back. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's a possibility. I think it's and like right back to defensive midfield pipeline is pretty common, too. Yes. So, yeah, most of those guys have played a little a little fullback as well. Akil Watts is doing the same thing of yeah. sorts where he was the defensive midfielder. He was fullback. He does both for city. I mean, higher level, I think with Blom that we have, but th that would make a whole lot of sense if we need them to. I do like the idea of a leaving Dirk and Blom midfield. Like I then maybe wonder if like any of them would ever push high, but I <laughs> like the idea. <laughs> well, in preseason we had Kojima step in and, was pressing the high. He was that Leuven number 10 mm. type of a, of a player. So you never know what we might see with that. Anything else? There's you a lot of really... interesting combinations. Yeah. Like I like, I yeah. think the midfield has a lot of, a lot you can mix and match with. That would be fun to kind of at least see what happens. Kojima is kind of a wild card in that too, mm. where I wouldn't expect him to necessarily feature uh, maybe another second half cameo. If we're having the health, if we don't have the health concerns, so if I have Blom and Leuven and, 
Dirk at all available. You know, there are three front runners for midfield. So Kojima is just another wild card who come out there and mm-hmm. be his uh, student of the game, tactical presence that we know he can be. Yeah. And he does have that like attacking instinct too, which is interesting for a guy who like I thought was going to be a pretty like defensive midfielder in the way that he tackles and things, but yeah, he's a, he's an interesting player. I think he fits into that roster really well as a player. He can deal a little bit of everything. Anything else surprising you or you're looking forward to with this game that we haven't touched on yet? I think like just to touch on how strong they've been defensively so far as well. That would be like looking ahead, hoping that they, you know, keep this stint of only allowing like a goal a game is pretty good if you can then find the goals that you should be finding. Yeah. And I I wonder how um, some of our adjustments are going to be, because that's another thing that I've seen some of the comments this week inability to adjust and keep trying to do the same thing of sending it over the top. And we've, we've talked, we talked a lot in the first portion of the pod about um, things, the reasons for why that didn't work. And, but I, I don't think we're going away from that. And I think the players that we have on this field were designed to play that kind of a game. Yeah. And, so- yeah, and if you look at like a Denneran's goal last week, it was when like Levin recovered the ball, he looked up and saw that Sam was streaking and just sent it to him. And yeah. like that was the most impactful play of the match. Yeah. And that's one thing I look for too, is our midfielders. I, I think I mentioned this briefly, but I, just to reiterate my point earlier, our midfielders aren't designed to be the primary ball progressors. Uh, Leuven in his role as a number eight is the only player I think that we'd be asking of that. And so it's potential that by not having Leuven in the lineup consistently, that's a, a key missing piece as opposed to Leuven not doing something himself, but the higher level fullbacks, that's, that's my, that's my, that might be my X factor in this game mm. is against NYCFC is the higher level fullbacks and what they can bring to not just the width of the field, but the service that they can deliver in and how, just how that will stretch NYCFC and help to create something that's actually at a higher level, more efficient passing and allowing some of those duels to be won in the attacking end that we just haven't, we didn't see in Houston at all. And we really mm. didn't see in the second half of ourselves. Yeah. And, and to, to that point, Matt, is it also takes away one of the big weaknesses that city had last year was that there, you could kind of like cut things down the wing pretty easily and build against them. And with Tola and like defensively, it's been so much stronger even in the first few games I've noticed. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. So we never do betting things on this pod, uh, primarily because I live in Missouri and betting's not legal. And I just, I don't, I can't do the non-legal stuff. I just don't, I don't feel like spending the time to do it. Leaving money on the table, possibly. But I bring that up because Mm. um, SC Chili Peppers SG on Twitter asked, I know you don't, you aren't, you don't do betting content, but for fun, the best bet to value goal score on Saturday. And I'll list a few of, let's just do anytime scores. And so my limited knowledge of betting tells me that the lower the positive number, the higher potential goal score. So for instance, Joao Klaus is a, a plus 180. So hmm. you're, you're not going to make as much money on him because they expect right. him to score, right? Yes. So it goes Klaus, Bakrar, Santi Rodriguez, Jovan Miatovic, Caden Glover, Malachi Jones, Morrison, <laughs> Alonzo Martinez, Talis Magno, Rasmus Alm. A, I don't know that this betting site is up to date. B, I didn't see Sam Adenaran in there. 
and see Katie yeah, bet the house on Sam right. Adenaran. <laughs> yeah, bet the house wherever Sam Adenaran shows up. Um, of that list, uh, and, and it goes down from there. I mean, you obviously have like Jose Kojima, Edu mm. Leuven, AZ Jackson, um, you know, a host of other players. I guess who who would you maybe I'll word it this way. Who do you think is likely to score a goal in this game, NYCFC or St. Louis City, who the odds are stacked against them? Okay. I just found the odds. I just needed to look. Um, oh, no. Where did they go? Uh, yeah, I mean, not hearing Sam Denran in those, like, first page of numbers. Like, that one is one that has the odds stacked against him a little bit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it has to be an oversight. There's absolutely no way. I saw it. Hold on. Why is it keep disappearing? I was like so curious. I saw his name on here. It's very far down. Um, yeah, maybe I'm looking. Maybe I don't know. I'm looking at screenshots somebody sent me. So I this okay. possibly is who knows. Oh, here we go. Goal scorer props. All right. Or do you think it's going to be NYCFC or say we didn't actually do uh, score predictions? I just realized that in the first first portion. So we should probably at the least site talk still that has uh, John Bell. You can bet on a John Bell goal if you I want. <laughs> Betting in MLS is uh, it's a wild wild west out here. Well, no, no goal score is like middle of the pack. So that's also an option. I guess that would be, I would, I might bet that if it was middle of the pack. Yeah. Um, just based on the fact that we haven't shown anything yet. And if you're, I think it, it is actually not out of their own possibility that it's no goals. <laughs> so you're going, you're going no goals. If you had to, if you had to bet anytime score, you'd, you'd pick no goals and take the, uh, mm. it'd probably end up being like a plus 500 odds or something like that. Or, Oh, I see it. Plus twelve hundred for no goals. So you yeah. you'd bank bank if you got that. Yeah, I'll go no goals. Even though I I feel like there will be a goal. I think I think those are good odds to take. So that's fair. <laughs> I mean, I also don't actually actually looking reason. at this, I might take Chris Durkin at plus eight hundred anytime score. It's not bad. Uh, he had the the worldie of the goal in preseason. Yeah, he's got that bomb in him. He said he was sad that he wasted on preseason, so I thought that was good. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fair. I, he has the potential. We know he has the potential. So I might take that plus 800 Chris Durkin anytime goal scorer. I think I like okay. that. Sounds good. Yeah, so you've got no... So if you're taking the uh, the plus 1,200 no goal scorer, or whatever that was, plus 1,600, does that mean your scoreline projection is 0-0? Zero, zero? I think like if I was actually predicting it, I'm going to say 2-1 to one in City's favor. I think that's actually what I told Matthew at um, Hudson River Blue was. Oh no, I said I said two nothing. That was my. Okay. So I I do like this as Berkey's clean sheet opportunity, um, primarily because I just haven't seen anything either in the first game or yeah. Where's the goal scoring for New York? Exactly. I, I get it. Yeah. Yeah, and and I like um, I think Berkey as a guy who comes out of his box a little bit more um, is going to add to that disruption that Bacrar is dealing with being on an Island, not ha yeah. having to drop back to find the ball. I think Berkey has the potential to be highly disruptive to yeah, that. We don't talk nearly enough about him as an X factor, but he should always be in that conversation also. I, yes, hundred <laughs> percent. And just so we give him enough time because that he in, as far as a fan favorite, Berkey's obviously top, if not top two, if not the absolute top, but uh, tactically we don't give him enough credit. Mm. And I, his, his saves that he made against Houston were fantastic. The double save there at the end of the first half, Carnell even mentioned it on Thursday. But to me, the biggest impact that Roman Berkey has that will benefit us as we're dealing with center back issues 
is his ability to be that third center back, that last defender, because it also provides so much cover when you're being pressed. And not saying New York City will press us, but if you run into any issue in your ball progression, one of the reasons that we send the ball so often is because it's Roman Berkey doing it. And the ball the ball's being played back by our center backs. Mm. We don't build out of the back. We build out of Berkey. Yeah, that's a good point. And then you have the playoff game where Berkey is just sending it back and forth. And yeah, like the goalkeeper is just lobbing balls because everyone is trying to not be the one to press. And Berkey played an important role in that. <laughs> he did. He did. Um, soccer zombie in chat. Do you think we'll see Dewar play Saturday? Yes, I think we both landed on, we'll, we expect him to appear, but likely not to start, is our yeah. thought. Because I don't think Carnell would bring it up if it wasn't like a legitimate option. And he seemed kind of like hedging his bet a little bit yes. and saying that he had to like get up to speed. He had to learn the system. And I don't think you throw that out there in big minutes right away. No, and what Carnell said is his past two or three sessions really show that he's there. And so if, if this isn't something where they're hoping he'll show something on Thursday or Friday, and if he's shows something on Friday, then they'll feel good about Saturday. This seems like it's okay. They now have confidence in him uh, playing, whether it's 45, depending on, I, I will say the caveat to him starting is probably uh, not just Anthony Marcanic regenning from Tuesday, but the overall fitness of the back line. Mm. I know Dewar from all accounts is primary i mean he's only a left side player i don't think i can recall seeing him ever in a different spot other than the left side he's left footed it's just where he plays so similar to anthony marcanic not going into center back Durer's is not a candidate for center back so i i would kind of cautiously expect anthony marcanic to start again um but that's a that's a long shot so if you're betting for the starting lineup um and it's at a at a good odds nicholas Durer is a dark horse candidate to start i would say Right. I'd love to see it. I'm just like antsy for that fullback pairing just to see what happens, even if it's not quite at its best yet. It's just a glimmer uh, and a glimpse. Mm. And that's the other thing, too. On that note, like the fact that we we just want to see it. Carnell did say, and this is another thing I want to reinforce before we go, that the style of play that we have, which has come under fire in the past few days and week. It works because we're effective in those moments. And we didn't we haven't really said the word moment a lot in, in this pod tonight, but everything we talk about being effective, being efficient, uh, winning the duels, connecting, the fact that we're going to continue to send the ball and we're going to progress with these long passes up the field. And we're going to, when a midfielder gets the ball, he's going to look upfield. He's not going to look for his midfield partner to pass the ball to. He's going to look high. It's to create the moments. And Bradley Carnell said on Thursday, if we had landed one or two of those moments in the 90 minute game, if we had landed one or two of those moments, we'd be having an entirely different conversation right now. And I think that's true. And that tends to be true in a lot of the cases where St. Louis city plays on a, a razor's edge like this. Right. Mm. Yeah. And like, that's what we talk about luck too, where like in you know last season, I think those moments were going in city's favor and they just haven't yet to start the season. Justin, Final thoughts? Anything else? Any other topics you want to get to? No, I think, I don't know if there's too much that we didn't cover already. I feel like we've been pretty comprehensive about this game, <laughs> primarily because at least, um, I don't know that we mentioned it at the beginning, but before we started recording, we were very honest with each other that we don't want to talk about that Houston game too much. And I think Bradley Carnell gave us the ammunition on Thursday to 
be free, be okay with not talking about it because he admitted that it was an anomaly. He admitted that it was isolated and that they did not stick to any of their principles. They didn't play a good game. And this is not something that they feel like is going to be an issue to overcome or, or have continue on. Right. Yeah. I think he was very apt and not wanting to talk about it, but there also just like, isn't much to talk about with that game. I mean, no, it was a boring first half and then things got a little like heated up. The city chased the game trying to get that goal back. But ultimately, like there wasn't much going forward. Like Chris Durkin was probably the lone bright spot from it. You have another injury situation happen. <laughs> yeah, it's not great. <laughs> and, and this weekend, totally different. So my my parting thoughts are keeping in mind we perform differently at City Park than we do on the road. Most teams in MLS do. We're we're no exception to that. We're a fairly decent road team, I think, in all things considered. Last year, we had a fairly good away record by mm. the middle of the pack, uh, top six or seven. But the other thing is, I think the health now that we're five games, we're going to be five games out from Champions Cup. It's going to be a little better. Hopefully, Tim Parker will be available at least. But I think this is a team that now knows that they have now a weekly cadence every... We don't have a midweek game until May 15th against LAFC now. With that does come the the slight upsetting factor of the fact that, by all accounts, St. Louis City is not participating in the U.S. Open Cup. Said we weren't going to talk about it, but uh, that that is a factor in the schedule congestion that the rumors and the latest reports have not City, not City 2, no St. Louis, because we were a Champions Cup team and no Champions Cup team except for Houston. The defending U.S. Open Cup champs are rumored to play. But what that means for City is no midweek matches until May 15th. And I think that does have a mental effect on the team where they know that they maybe they can go a little harder on the weekend because they're not going to need to regen or deal with a Columbus crew on the other side. Um, mentally, physically, it lets them, especially after New York City, it lets them fully rest and, and regen for their weekly cadence now. And so I look for this first match on the other side of it against New York City FC to be just that intro to this new regularity that St. Louis is going to have and probably to prove themselves a little bit because they see some of these comments too. They see some of the fact that the, the derision that's occurring and the comments of the ineffectiveness of their style of play. And, you know, they're, they're not robots. They not just see it. We saw last year from John Nelson. We know that some players are on social media and see this kind of stuff. And I think everything is just going to, with the, the crowd at city park, especially everything is just going to lead to a crescendo. And I think this is an opportunity to write the ship in a very quick and direct way. Those are good words, Matt. Yeah, I think so. And like a win over NYCFC too, I think is something to kind of like hang your hat on as that, yeah. that like early trending up point as well. Yeah. And we would love nothing more than to introduce NYCFC. And from what I understand, they're contingent of executives who are dying to see City Park because just like we did before we started league play, they're executives who are building that new soccer park I mentioned in Queens are touring the nation, looking at stadiums. We're going to be one of them that they get to see. So we're going to give them a show. We're going to love to go on that tour. This would be a fly on the wall. I know, right? <laughs> those, those seem like they'd be just the most fun type of things to understand. Mm. But I think, say, I think St. Louis has the opportunity to send New York home and remember the St. Louis style of play. New York City's played the Red Bulls. They know the 
the the skeleton of what we have, but we've talked so much about how St. Louis is different than what the Red Bulls offer. And this is the first real opportunity. Get get some of our guys back that we didn't have Tuesday. Get some of our guys back that that and better that were on the field on Tuesday. And just work to progress now, focusing on MLS league play. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Now you have to focus on it. So all right. Thank you so much for joining us here on Flyer Footy. Justin Horniker, thank you so much for joining us. If you want to follow Justin, do you want to tout your stuff one more time? Tell everybody where to find, yeah. where to read. Thanks for having me, Matt. It was a joy. Uh, yeah, if you want to follow my St. Louis Mag articles, we have a newsletter that comes out every Wednesday. You can uh, subscribe via St. Louis Mag. I think it's the like link in their Twitter bio right now. You can also follow me on Twitter, on Instagram, at Horniker Justin, and I tweet out all my stuff. Um, and then my Substack, Talking Soccer, that's where I put my kind of recap city articles and other soccer stuff. So, Fan- fantastic job it. covering St. Louis City, Casey Current. I, I don't think there's anybody better who can toe that line. So, love your stuff. Check out Justin wherever you can. And I look forward to having you on Flyover Footy more often. I know yeah. that for sure. Looking forward to it for sure. All right. That's all the time we have, guys. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll do this again on Sunday with Santiago Beltran and myself for Flyover Fallout. I don't know if we'll stream or not, but we will definitely be recording. Um, and then we'll be back for Flyover Footy next Thursday night. Pod will come out tomorrow, everyone. So thank you so much for joining us. Go City.